are keeping everything strictly in the Senate. Our guest is Senate Secretary Glenn Kep, and he talks about a lot of things by getting started at the Capitol back in the 1970s. What it was like working with former Senate President Mike O'Keefe, and what does he think is next for the upper chamber as he heads into retirement. But before we get into the interview with Kemp, we're going to go back a ways for a little piece of political history. We are going back to 1964. And what you're about to hear is the campaign song for then-State Senator Harvey Peltier Jr. Now, Peltier was an interesting character in Louisiana politics. He first got involved at the 1948 Democratic Convention at the age of 25, where he was a delegate for Harry Truman. Now, being 23, reading about Peltier and learning about him certainly makes me feel like I'm coming up a little short, y'all, if I'm being honest. But Peltier was an interesting guy because his father, Harvey Peltier Sr., had been a floor leader for Huey P. Long, one of the famous round robiners that had blocked Long's impeachment, even once believed that Harvey Peltier Sr. decked an anti-Long legislator on the floor of the House. Certainly things have changed a little bit in the legislature since those days. But Harvey Peltier Jr. had got elected to his father's old seat when he retired. That was Senate District 21 down in the home of Thibodeau area, Terrebonne Lafouche. Y'all know how people down there like to keep it all in the family. We know the Chabers, very similar family, have their seat down there that they've been in and out of for years with, three gen- with two generations excuse me, of the family. Now Peltier, when he was done with his legislative service, actually became the first chairman of the board for the University of Louisiana. So after he was done, he got into higher education, transitioned around a little bit. But Peltier was certainly a landmark figure in Louisiana politics. So what you're going to hear is his campaign song from 1964. Let's re-elect our state senator, Harvey Peltier. Come out, all you voters, and give us a hand To keep our senator, he's the right man The future's much brighter since he came our way So let's re-elect Senator Harvey Peltier St. Mary Assumption, I push all the way. Soon the time will come when we'll have our say. So let's stand behind Senator Harvey And that song right there is a piece of lost Louisiana political history, a memory of a bygone era here in Baton Rouge. And that's what we're talking about, because in case you're wondering, and I know that you were, this is a podcast for people who love Louisiana politics. My name is Mitch Rabelais, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is The Politics Report. Underwritten by Adams and Reese and recorded live from the the Politics Mobile Studios, we endeavor to be your entertainment and a window into the Bayou State's colorful past. Episode 69, the fifth episode of Season 4, and we have Senate Secretary Glenn Kep. If you've been around the Capitol at all since 1972, Glenn is somebody you know. He's usually stationed in front of Senate President John Alario, reading around loud bill numbers and walking us through ways of procedure. But today, we sat down with Glenn and got to know a little bit about the man, about what he is, who he, what makes him tick, where does he like to go fishing, and what is he looking forward to in retirement. 
for policy junkies, this will be one that you'll enjoy because we go deep on the procedure of the Senate and also touch on a lot of the history that Glenn has seen unfold in his career. So here we go, Senate Secretary Glenn Kapp on the podcast. The Law Politics Report is underwritten by the law firm of Adams & Reese. The Adams & Reese Law Firm's Baton Rouge office is known for its strength on every level of state government, whether dealing with litigation, economic development, contract procurement, or appeals. Through lobbying state departments and executive and legislative branches, the Baton Rouge office of Adams & Reese can strategically cover a client's needs from inception to completion. For more information on the resources available to our clients, visit us online at www.adamsandreese.com. Secretary of the Senate since 2004. If you've been around the Capitol at all, you know his face, you know his voice. Glenn, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. So we're recording this on Thursday, April 4th, here in your office at the Capitol. It's about 2.30 in the afternoon. Session's getting ready to get underway. What are you really thinking? What's on your mind right now? with lawmakers coming in on Monday. Well, it's, uh, I think everybody's kind of excited about it this time because it's the last one in this quadrennium. Uh, we don't have a lot of legislation introduced. Don't expect a lot more to be uh, introduced. So shouldn't be a real tough session. We have some, some issues that are always there. And, you mentioned the last session of this term. This is also the last session for you personally. You're going right off into the sunset after this one. What are your thoughts as you're getting ready for retirement? Well, this is uh, my last my, – my term ends in next January, and I'm not running again. Um, my thoughts about retirement, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. Uh, main thing I want to do is uh, when I retire – is uh, stay conscientious. I mean, that's that's the thing. You got to keep things up. Doctor uh, Daniel Amons has done a lot of research on that, and he's found that uh, people that retire, if they don't stay conscientious, and that's stay on task, keep things done, finish whatever it is you're doing. Uh, if you do that, um, you live longer. And uh, I'm certainly gonna make that my priority to keep doing whatever I do. Now, you and I talked a little bit about fishing um, uh, before we started recording. Um, You're headed out to retirement, so you've got fishing, you mentioned a little travel. What's on the retirement agenda for Glen Kelp? Well, I love to fish, and uh, for the past probably 25 years, I fished in Alaska at some point. I love to fish up there for salmon and and, uh, halibut. I like to fish in the Gulf. Um, I like fresh water. I like to fish Toledo Bend. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of options there for me to go and do. Now, now we're talking about retirement. We're talking about the last day. I want to go back to your first day. You came into this building in 1972. Um, uh, that was Edwin Edwards was a governor. Bubba Henry was Speaker of the House. And there was no president of the Senate at the time. Jimmy Fitzmorris was lieutenant governor. Right. You were a student worker, am I correct on that? I was. So what was that first day like for a young Glenn Kemp as a student coming to work at the Capitol? Well, it was um, obviously very exciting. Uh, I had an undergraduate. My undergraduate degree was in political science. I've always been interested in this. My dad actually had an office here in the Capitol for years and years. He was with the Department of Education forever. Um. So I was familiar with the area, um, but it was pretty exciting uh, seeing the legislature in in session and being part of it. Now, coming to work at the Capitol, was that always a goal of yours? Was that something you always wanted to do, or did you think maybe one day a young Glenn Kemp would run for elected office, or did you ever think you'd be in the job you have today? Not really. Um, I ended up with a job up here as a fluke. I had a roommate at the time, and uh, he was—he wanted to have a summer job. I was looking at going to uh, summer school. I'm, I was in law school, and I was looking at uh, going to summer school. And uh, my roommate was named David Hamilton. David passed away a few years ago, but we uh, actually got out of law school together. We practiced law together, and David did lobbying here at the Capitol. But he was just kind of 
skittish about coming up here to look for a job, and he asked me to come with him. So I did. And I felt real stupid walking into these offices and saying, uh, my friend here wants a job. Can he fill out an application? <laughs> so I started going in, and I started filling out applications with him. And we went all over the building, ended up in the lieutenant governor's office, I ran into a guy that I had worked for, and he told me that his partner was downstairs hiring people to work for the house. And uh, his name was Dick Barrios, and Dick was going to be the new sergeant at arms for the house. And uh, we went down and talked to Dick, and the bottom line was that uh, he hired me, he hired David, and uh, another roommate of mine, which was Mike Skinner. Uh, Mike Skinner's from Lafayette. He later became U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Louisiana. But we all started here together. And I, when Dick offered us a job, I couldn't turn it down. It was too good a deal. Now, another young guy that started on that day is Butch Spear, and he's your counterpart in the House of Representatives um, so what was it like for a young uh, Glenn Kep and Butch Spear working in the House of Representatives in the 72 session in that term? Well, that's when I met Butch. Um, and Butch hadn't started law school yet. He was, I believe, still in undergraduate school. Um, and I don't know, I just, uh, I think both of us were very excited in what we were doing. David Porter was a newly elected clerk. And David was just a prince among men. I mean, he was just a super guy. Uh, He was very good friends uh, with Butch. And uh, he brought Butch in to work for him. Um, And I think both of us, in our own way, were very excited about getting to do this. Now, something else that also happened that term that was exciting was the Constitutional Convention of 1973. What was that experience like for you? Because not just are you there with the legislature, you're there as the state's governing document is being drafted. I was, um, and Butch was there. Uh, we both kind of had the same kind of jobs we had with the House. Uh, we kept working with the uh, Constitution Convention. Uh, I had the, uh, I guess, privilege of having the, to get everybody to sign the copies. And we had, I think, I can't remember, about 150 copies signed individually every page by each of the delegates. And of course, (laughs) I had to stand there because if a delegate was signing and he was starting to get tired, if he messed up a signature and he wadded up a page, that was a whole set gone. So you had to go back. So I had to make sure that he didn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and there and, were some uh, tempers in that convention. Shady Wall, Lawrence Shahardi, that was... Uh, real characters. Absolutely. Yeah, some uh, really uh, interesting people. I worked uh, very closely with Shady Wall even after Constitution Convention. When I got my law degree, I went to work for Shady as attorney for his retirement committee. Uh, had a great, great rapport with Shady Wall. And he's somebody who's a character in this building. Whew. He's days gone by. What, what, what was Shady like? For those who didn't know him, Shady was very, very, very smart. Uh, he was always about three steps ahead of everybody else, and um, he just really understood how to get things done. He made a lot of good friends. Uh, he was very close with Bubba and uh, Bubba Henry, and uh, was good friends with him. Um, he was also real good friends with Buddy Leach. And they worked together. Buddy was a house member during those days. Uh, Shady was a lot of fun to work with. Uh, Shady had a lot of money. And um, I like to say he married into every penny of it. <laughs> yeah, I think so, Ms. Lilich. Uh, but yes, he, uh, he was fun to work for. And believe it or not, I used to have a, a pocket full of his uh, credit cards. And sometimes when he would have his delegation here from... Uh, from the Monroe area, he'd call me up and tell me to take him to lunch. And I had his credit card to go do that. So you would take his credit card and go to <laughs> Roos Crest or where? Well, they used to, they had a, a place up in North Baton Rouge. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. Bob and Jake's or something like that. And that's where most of them went in those days. 
Now, you work as a student worker here at the Capitol for the House. You graduate from law school. Do you go directly into committee work, or what, what was next on the journey for you? As soon as I got out of law school, uh, it's, uh, somewhere along that, that road, uh, I continued to work as a student worker. And then when I got my law degree, uh, Shady interviewed me and uh, actually had Mundy Lowe, who was doing this big project. Mundy Lowe was, a, I think, a CPA. He was in the Constitutional Convention. But Mundy had been hired by the legislature to do a big research project on retirement systems, and Shady was chairman of retirement. And so he had Mundy interview me, and I just went from one to the other straight into to working for the legislature. So you have not left the building since 72? Actually, I did leave it for about uh, three years. Okay. Uh, uh, 70, I don't know, 74, 75. Um, I left my job here, and uh, I did lobby work. And in those days, a lot of lobbyists would get you to draft bills privately outside. They weren't all done inside. And I did some of that. I drafted some legislation for different lobbyists. Um, I actually uh, lobbied uh, and worked. At that time, probably worked closer with the Senate than I did with the House, believe it or not. Um, and got involved with that. Mike Baer was elected secretary of the Senate. And Mike and I had actually uh, gone to law school together, and he and I were had a for a short period of time. He would he and I were partners in a private practice, so you know, we had some interesting times together. Interesting times came over to the Senate. Yeah. So you start your career in the House, and you come over to the Senate. What was it like going back and forth between the two bodies from a staff perspective? Wow. Uh, House members and House staff probably don't want to hear it, but it's certainly a much better place to work on the Senate side. Uh, it's smaller, more personal. Uh, you get to uh, interact with the legislators. You really get to know the senators very well and uh, work with them in what, whatever their projects are, what they want to do. Um, Time-wise, it doesn't matter. Either way, it's about the same amount of uh, time you put in to do it, and the workload's about the same. And there's been a lot of personalities that have gone through the Senate since you've been here. Guys like Mike O'Keefe, Ben Baggert, Lawrence, uh, I'm sorry, uh, um the senior, uh, Leonard Chabert. Leonard, it, took, yeah. it took me a minute to get that name. But what was it like with all those personalities in that body at one time, especially from a staff perspective, having to balance working with all of those members? Well, when I first started here, uh, I believe, I think about 26 members, a majority of the Senate was attorneys. And we had some really bright people. Uh, Claude Duvall was, was extremely, uh, extremely smart. Sonny Mouton was a brilliant guy. Um, Fritz Winhorst was just incredibly smart. And, uh, you know, they had their own egos and their own, uh, uh, but they all seemed to want one thing, to work together to make it best for the state and the people of the state. We didn't have the partisan fights. So you didn't have partisan politics then. Uh, there wasn't issues about, I'm just doing this because I don't like his party or, you know, my opposition's party or that particular person has bills. In those days, you had if you introduced legislation, it was it stood on its own. It didn't have anything to do with party politics, and that's changed drastically over the years. From a staff perspective, as Secretary of the Senate, is that harder for you to balance with all of these partisan fights? Is that I would say almost discouraging, and does that put more of a strain on your staff knowing these things are going on in the body? It probably puts a little more strain on the staff, but uh, one thing that you learn quickly, um, the good thing about uh, having training in law school was that you never know what side of the issue you're going to be on because you don't know what client's going to come in and ask you to represent them in whatever position. 
So once you were here, um, it really, personally, you didn't let your personal thoughts or feelings get in the way of how you did your job, and that's important. It's incredibly important for staff to do. Um, you know, you might not like what, what they're doing, but you do the best job you can to draft the best piece of legislation or the best amendments you can do for them. You, you mentioned, you know, working with the members, putting things aside, drafting these bills. Is that the most challenging part of the job? It probably is. Um, you know, a lot of times you got to be pretty creative to, to be able to come up with the right kind of language to make things work the way they want it to work. And, uh, you know, you see us failing all the time when you have to redo the same statute over and over and over again. Um, the interesting thing is very little is new. Almost every idea that a legislator comes in with, someone's thought about it before, may have been 25 years ago, but it's somebody's taken a stab at it and uh, you just got to go back in history and find those and find them, pull them out, pull them out and yeah, improve on them. So looking back from through your career, from starting out as a student worker in the house to committee attorney, lobbyist, assistant secretary, secretary, what's the biggest mistake that you think you've made in your career? Well, I should say, what incident particularly stands out to you? Maybe it's funny now, but at the time it was horrifying to a younger Glenn Kelp. I did a lot of work directly for uh, Senator Michael Keefe. Did a lot of research for him and wrote memos. And I drafted a lot of his uh, legislation. And one day uh, in the morning, he asked me to do a set of amendments for uh, a bill that, uh, and it really gutted the bill. I mean, it did it in. And the bill was by Fritz Winhorst, Senator Winhorst. And when the amendments got called up and introduced, Senator Winhorst called me to his desk on the floor, and he was livid. And if you ever knew him, you knew he had a quick temper. Smart man, but a quick temper. (laughs) <laughs> I was standing in front of his desk, and it was a front desk on the front row in the Senate chamber. <laughs> and Senator Winhorse just, he wanted to know where those amendments came from. And I said, I drafted them. And in those days, we didn't put our name on them like you do today. But, uh, you know, I said, yeah, I drafted them. And he balled up his fist, and I thought he was going to hit me. He hit his desk so hard, it sounded like a shot went off in the chamber. And uh, everybody, you know, just got real quiet and looked. It was like, oh, my career ran before my eyes real quick. Right. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it worked out. Uh, Ended up having a good relationship with him most of the rest of the time he was here. And and you mentioned Mike O'Keefe. You know, he's somebody who was president of his body, well-known. Um, so was Sonny Mouton. Um, and then since you've been secretary, you worked with three pre- um, you worked with Joel Chason, Donald Hines, um, and now John Alario. What's it like, particularly as secretary, dealing with um, uh, the different presidents, and what are some of the differences between all of them? Well, obviously, John Alario is the strongest we've had. He really understands this process. He understands this institution. He understands how it works. Um, He doesn't get rattled, and I've never really seen him get mad. Um, So, you know, he knows how to make things work. He knows how to put it together and and get people to agree to things and work together. Um, Joel, uh, I think Joel was... uh, he was a good president, but Joel, I mean, you can see the difference. The, right now, Senator Lario only allows the pro temp to take his place at the desk up front. Um, 
when he needs a break or if he's going to be absent. And if you remember back when Joel was, he let half of the Senate preside. Uh, he just didn't really, he just let everybody do that. Doc Hines let several people. Um, Doc Hines was much more serious, but I think you get that from a doctor. And um, I used to make a joke about it. I probably shouldn't put this on record, but uh, I used to make a joke about how the women's staff could control Doc Hines a lot better than the male staff. And I think it came from he was used to nurses <laughs> <laughs> telling him what to do, if you will, right, uh, you right. know, following him in the, in the hospital setting. So, but Doc was real serious and uh, uh, obviously a very smart man. Good friends with the governor. They, they're uh, Governor Blanco and and Doc Hines went back a long time. I think back from when he was stationed in New Iberia in the Navy. He was a Navy pilot, I think, a surgeon, whatever they call it, pilot surgeon or whatever it, they call him. Right, and, and of course, Governor Blanco had lived in New Iberia. Her husband had been the football right. coach there. Exactly, yeah. He knew him from then. Right, and, and you mentioned letting other people preside. I think at one point when uh, uh, Francis Thompson was presiding over the body and somebody said they needed to check the capital outlay bill to <laughs> see if he had offered up any amendments <laughs> at that time. Yeah. So what's a typical work day like for you as Senate Secretary when the body's in session? Typical work day is coming in the morning um, I'm here for for uh, whatever I have a lot of senators who come by individually for whatever they want to do uh, talk to me about maybe a, a motions they want to do what the rules are how it works um, I haven't lately as secretary done a lot of amendments we used to do them all uh, but, um, you know, just preparing for the day and getting ready to go in. And then when we're in session, uh, you know, it's showtime. We go in and uh, my whole objective in the Senate is to keep things moving along as smoothly as possible uh, and as quickly as possible to, to make things happen and, and uh, keep, keep everything uh, level and on board. When the evening is over, uh, when we adjourn, I usually am here for about another hour and a half, two hours, uh, just because if we have some problem with the journal or we have problems with an amendment that was drafted wrong or wh whatever, to try to uh, backstop any problems we may have. So when you're up in front of the of the body when you're sitting you sit right in front of the senate president everybody knows your voice you're reading out the bill numbers who it's by and, and part of the instrument is there something where you find yourself tripping over a certain word or a name that that's come up for you time and time again or <laughs> are you hoping folks don't notice as much or is it at this point now you've been through it so many times you just keep going that does happen but i just have to keep going and i will tell you that uh it may be hard to believe as much reading as i have to do uh, just as things are handed to me. I mean, they're handed to me and I read them right there. Uh, I used to have a real problem when I was in school, uh, standing in front of a group of people reading, reading out loud. I mean, I just that's something I didn't do. And all of a sudden, that's my job. Uh, so I think uh, you rise to the occasion, I guess is a good way to put it. Right. You didn't think as a young boy that you'd be sitting in front of the whole Senate body? <laughs> no. No, that was never, never did cross my mind. You, you got elected to this position in 2004. Was being secretary a goal of yours that you had had for a while? Was it something that you had kind of come upon late, later in life? How, how really, I guess I should say, did you come into this position as Senate secretary? In 1980... During the elections of 1979, I had worked in a political campaign in New Orleans for a senator. Uh, we lost that race. And after that, I had, uh, he was a friend of, of Michael Keefe's, and um, his wife was a good friend of Ms. Gene O'Keefe. And I was down there in that campaign. I got to know him. I met him. 
And afterward, um, Senator O'Keefe asked me to, if I wanted to come back to work and do some work for him, I did. I uh, did research and, and on any issue that he wanted, uh, wrote memorandums to him and ended up uh, drafting legislation for him that he requested. And the year before, I had worked as a staff attorney in the Legislative Bureau, which is uh, a place that works at night after the after hours where you're checking every bill for constitutionality as well as any technical or grammatical errors or technical defects it may have. And uh, the person that had been the director of the Bureau didn't come back. And o Senator O'Keefe, interesting enough, this was his office. So where, where we we're are, sitting. Yeah. So we're sitting in your office, <laughs> yeah. and this was the yeah. Senate President's office. And I, he called me in. It was uh, the first day of session that year, 1980 session. And he said something about uh, I had worked in the Bureau, and he did I know who would be good to run the Bureau. And I gave him two names, two people that were uh, – uh, staff attorneys that came in and did that and all that was contracted you weren't a full-time employee as a as still to this day I mean it's, it's people that just come in during session and work as attorneys in the bureau and the next day he called me back in and he said look I talked to both those people and they said they didn't want anything to do with running it but they recommended you do it so go up and get it organized until we find somebody so I go up and get it organized I was the director of the Legislative Bureau until I got elected secretary. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that temporary job just stayed there, and I, that was one of the things I did. Uh, during the session that year, uh, I sat in the back and I drafted amendments. Uh, today, we have a whole staff of people that do that. Uh, but then it just had me sitting back just, there. Just you drafted amendments. I was sitting back there, and of course Mike Bear drafted tons of amendments on the on the front desk and on the fly. Now, are you when you say drafting amendments, are you doing this with a typewriter? Are you handwriting? Handwriting. So you're handwriting Absolutely. amendments. Absolutely, handwriting. And senators would just come in, and it didn't matter. I mean, you know, you just never knew where they were coming from, but you had to take them serious, and you had to draft as good as you could. Uh, and so that's what I was doing. I was sitting in the back, and I was drafting uh, amendments for uh, the members. And then as soon as session was over, I'd go up to the bureau and, and do the bureau. And in those days, the bureau would stay till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. It was crazy. And there was some, I don't know, controversy between me and uh, one of the uh, older uh, officers of the Legislative Council. They didn't like me. I didn't like them. We had not gotten along good when I was a staff attorney. And uh, she actually came and tried to get O'Keefe to fire me. Really? And things uh, went along. And one day he called me in on the front desk and said, um, I got good news and bad news. Good news. The bad news is the council's letting you go. And that's in those days, we had a joint um, staff. It was a legislative council that serviced both House and Senate. Right. Uh, and he said, I'm making you the secretary, the, uh, assistant secretary of the Senate. He created that position, gave it to me, gave me a $10,000 raise that day. So it worked out. You, you got a raise <laughs> and, that's and a new job. That. That's how I got it. Yep. And, and so you've seen this staff grow in this office from just you and Mike Bayer drafting amendments by hand to now you have a whole professionalized staff. I guess for you, do you kind of sit back sometimes and go, I wish we had this back in the <laughs> 80s? Or, um, or do you miss a little bit of, of what that used to be? Actually, uh, it was an incredible training ground. I was extremely lucky when I worked for Shady Wall on the house side. Uh, the house used to hire a man uh, Anselmo he was from New Orleans I believe but uh, Mr. Anselmo would come and work just during section just during sessions in the back 
of the House chamber, and he drafted amendments. That's all he did. And Shady used to make me go back and sit with him, and that's who taught me how to do it. Um, and there is a kind of an art to it. I mean, you get you get to where you uh, understand how to how to make things work. So, you know, it was a challenging job, but it wasn't something that was more than I could do. Uh, and uh, I have to look back at it and say that you know that during those times it was it was uh, it was fun. Something that you've had a lot of very expertise in is the area of redistricting. You've been really the body and the building's expert on that. How did you get this knowledge and know that we're going into a redistricting session in 2020 and you'll be on a boat somewhere? Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? Um, in 1980, um, Senator O'Keefe called me in and said, we have to do redistricting. And in the 70s, the redistricting was done by a special master, and there was some major changes that went on. So Senator O'Keefe called me in, and he said, you're in charge of staff for redistricting. You can have anybody you want. You got one job. I want a Senate plan that meets Justice Department, and they don't object to it. You do the legal part. You can have anybody you want to work for you. And I'll do the political part. And, um, I mean, it was it was incredible. I knew nothing about that. Um, I did have a good background in math, and that helped. And I, uh, <clears throat> I found a, uh, a conference that was being put on by a national conference of state legislatures in Denver, Colorado, on redistricting. And I went to it. And I will tell you, when I sat in that room and they started talking about uh, you know, using acronyms like PL94171 and just all kinds of things. I was totally lost. I mean, it was like, holy smoke, what have I got myself into? But over time, I uh, certainly learned what those meant and uh, how to uh, operate the things we uh, <clears throat> we had then. Big room upstairs on two, and there were maps, paper maps all over the wall. And you really had to remember a lot about where different areas were. And the whole deal was try to get something that worked. Because you were looking at one person, one vote, and you were trying to make the, vote, uh, the, the uh, uh, Voting Rights Act work right. to get something it did. Uh, we did have a computer, but it wasn't a uh, G GIS system. It was a, just a calculator. If you could put a precinct in, it knew how many people were in it, and they would calculate it for you. Um, and that's how we did it. It was uh, interesting. It was challenging. I had a great team of attorneys that worked for me. Uh, I had a guy named Tom Poche that Tom uh, retired from here years ago and, and passed away a few years ago. Uh, Paul Smith was a... A bright attorney that was with us, he left here and went to Washington, I think. Cormac Blackman, who is a um, lobbyist, been a lobbyist for years for railroads, he was one of the attorneys on the group. And uh, we just put the, put the plans together and did the any, public meetings. You didn't have any members come to you and go, hey, hey, Glenn, you're drawing me out my district. You're <laughs> slicing me in half. Oh, yeah. You did. Uh, we had a lot of that. But... Uh, the, the hardest time I ever had with that was a real good friend of mine was Armand Brinkhouse. And Brinkhouse's district was sitting, and it was almost perfect. You, shouldn't, you should not have had to do a thing to it because it was within the deviation that is required. And that particular uh, uh, census... What happened was, north of him, everything in North Louisiana had gone down, and the growth was below him, and you literally had to push through him. So you had to take almost half of his district and put it to the northern districts, population-wise, right. and then give him a whole new half of new district. And uh, that was pretty tough to do. Uh, those are the kind of things that you end up having to do, and that's just what the process is about. 
Now, with redistricting on the horizon for next year, what is this body going to be in store for? What, what, what really is going to be for members and the staff and everybody's going to be here for the redistricting session? Well, first of all, the, the, it's all driven by population. And all of our population estimates show that virtually all the parishes in North Louisiana uh, have grown very little or in the negative range. And all the growth is along I-10 South. So there's a lot of push it's going to have to push down. Uh, if you look at um, Senator Riser's district today, over time it is pushed down. It starts in Monroe, and it almost ends up in Baton Rouge. Right. It comes all the way to, in, in, to uh, West Feliciana, just right at our boundary. <coughs> Those kind of districts are going to have to keep up. I mean, they're gonna, that's going to happen. You're going to push down more. Um, New Orleans has grown. Now, 10 years ago, we took a Senate district out of New Orleans. I don't think it's grown enough to get a Senate district back, but I understand it probably has grown enough to get at least a House district back. So that will be, you know, there's a lot of jockeying will go on um, with how all that washes out. The, the two of the biggest changes historically since the 80s or 65 when the Voting Rights Act got passed we had to get any plan we did pre-cleared by the Justice Department or you could file suit in federal court in Washington, D.C. before you could implement it, which means before you could hold elections on it. Right. The Supreme Court has said that it's, I believe, Section uh, 4 listed the different jurisdictions that were covered by Section 5. And... When they renewed the the uh, Voting Rights Act a few years ago, they just renewed the whole thing. And the Supreme Court looked at it and said, wait a minute, when you created Section 4 and you listed these jurisdictions, you did the research necessary to show that they were had all these discriminatory policies, either discrimination with regard to voting or registration or whatever. And... 25 years later, things have changed quite a bit, and you didn't do anything. So they struck down Section 4. So we're no longer covered by Section 5. We do not have to get pre-cleared. So whatever the legislature passes goes into effect. That's what you have elections on. And the only thing to stop that would have to be a suit in a district court in Louisiana, not in Washington, D.C. So that's a major difference. You don't have that. It's almost a hammer over your head, uh, <clears throat> making sure you play right. Right. You do the right things. And the second thing is, <coughs> I have no idea where it's going, but there's a lot, you know, the, the whole country is full of suits that have to do with partisan gerrymandering. And right now, there are two suits uh, the Supreme Court is looking at trying to remember if one's in Maryland I forget where they are where they're coming out of because they've kicked a couple back on partisan gerrymandering one is a partisan gerrymandering on behalf of uh, Republicans the other one's a partisan gerrymandering on behalf of Democrats and the gerrymandering is drawing districts in such a way as to favor one group over another I don't know what the court's going to do with that 20 years ago, they came up with a with a case, I think it was called Bandemir, where they said partisan gerrymandering can be illegal. We just hadn't defined, defined it yet. And until today, they haven't. Um, before we do redistricting, that case, those two cases, the Supreme Court's going to finally give us some guidelines. I don't know what they're going to do. I have no idea. Um... If they don't strike down and give specific guidelines on political gerrymandering and just let it be a free-for-all, that's what it's going to be. There's going to be another free-for-all. Uh, <clears throat> if they come up with guidelines of how, <coughs> how you decide whether you do or don't have that sort of political gerrymandering, 
like they did when they said this is what constitutes the test to determine whether or not the Voting Rights Act is being violated. Um, and it was a, uh, a Jingles case where they gave a three-prong test. So you could, to some degree, look at those three things and say, this one fits, this one fits, and that one fits, therefore we got discrimination. Or one, it, one doesn't fit, two does, three doesn't, we don't have it. Um, I hope they come up with something, but that's what's on the horizon for it. For, for redistricting. For redistricting. And, and something else that's going to change for this body is that next term the Senate will be electing their president by secret ballot. Um, mm-hmm. So how yes. will th- do you think that will change the course of the way that this chamber elects its presiding officer? And, and what really, I, I guess, you, what really brought this about? I guess is my question. Um, I don't know if that's really going to make any difference or not, because <coughs> for the most part, that gets decided somewhere between the election in October in January when the term starts. And there is a lot of political maneuvering being done uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I can't believe that they won't have the president worked out by then. I want to get into a little piece of history, and this research comes from my partner, Jeremy Alford, so if it's wrong, it's on him, not on me. Um, the fiscal session we're about to go into, um, it's, we have a regular session, fiscal session, fiscal session, regular session each term. The history of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, comes from the fact that the legislature used to meet every other year. Long time ago. And discontinued that in the 50s? And then um, we had a period of time where every other year was a short year. And um, you had a long year and a short year, and basically in, in the short year, um, you did mostly physical. You had to pass the budget and that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> then the Constitution Convention came along. We changed all that. We went to a longer sessions. Uh, we went to 60 days out of 85. And the short sessions before, you could have a 60-day session every other year, and you had a 30-day session every other year. Uh, then we went to the long sessions where you get, you could put it together with 60 days out of 85 calendar days. Um, and then over time, a lot of bickering back and forth and everybody thinking about, you know, we're staying in session too long, we're here too often, we're doing too much, start doing things to restrict it. And back we started passing constitutional amendments to restrict the sessions uh, and we ended up restricting them to this um, we did a fiscal only session and then a general session and we had the fiscal uh, session that started as soon as they got elected to come in office well everybody the new members, they all wanted legislation to do, and they couldn't do anything because the Constitution restricted them. So at some point, we flopped them. And now you have a general session when they come in, a fiscal session, general session, and this year, election year, is a fiscal session. And there are some other restraints. You can't do taxes, certain things during this year. But you still had issues with purely fiscal years because there were some things that they really needed to get done that weren't fiscal and so we came up with an idea in the constitution we put it in that each member can introduce five non-fiscal issues each so what is that uh, you got 39 members of the senate 105 members of the house that's a good many bills but it seems to work. So we're going into this session. It is, as we said earlier in your last session, your last session, I'm pending, no special sessions, knock on wood. <laughs> um, what are you going to miss most about this job? What are you going to miss most about the Capitol? You know, it's become a way of life. I come here every day, five days a week. Uh, uh, you know, I, it's just what I do and 
done it a long time. So I guess getting used to not getting up and going, just not getting up and getting dressed and heading in uh, will be different. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I'm active. I, I like to do a lot of things. I'm going to stay active in the redistricting world. Um, I will continue to do that. So we will see you. You're not going to be totally gone from the Capitol. We're going to see Probably you. Probably not. <laughs> I'll probably be around some. Yeah. Uh, but I do a lot of local government redistricting. Uh, school boards, police juries, city councils, and I'm pretty sure I want to keep doing that. So we always give the last word in the show to the guest. You can ask me a question, you can tell me to wrap it up, you can promote a charity, or just share a little piece of wisdom. My wisdom. The Senate has been a wonderful institution to work for. Um... <clears throat> You know, our whole form of government is set up in, in, in a way that the duty and responsibility of elected officials, particularly legislators, is to make your state the best it can be for the people that are there. And that's what it's been most of my career. I would love to see it stay that way. Um, I would love to see partisan politics stay out of here and maybe keep it in Washington or do away with it altogether. Um, because we're a great state. We got a lot. To, this state's got a lot to offer its people, and uh, we need to keep it going that way. That is Glenn Allen Kemp, the Secretary of the Senate, a man who loves the upper chamber and cannot wait for his next fishing trip to Alaska. Thank you so much. The Law and Politics Report is sponsored by the law firm of Adams & Reese, with attorneys and advisors strategically located in 17 markets across the southern United States and Washington, D.C., serving clients across all industries to effectively meet clients' legal needs and future goals. For more information on the services we provide, visit us online at www. That is it. That is our show for today. Well, things are getting interesting. We're getting into the meat of session. Things are getting started up. Bills are being filed. Debates are starting. Committee hearings are underway. I can tell you one thing. Certainly looks like it's about to get interesting. So stay with us. La Politics Weekly, the Tuesday tracker, on social media, at La Politics Now. We're going to have all your session information, everything you need to know, the best and worst of Louisiana politics. But until then, keep your ethics in compliance your war chest full, and your politics wild and ambitious. Mm-hmm.